Resurrection Assembly of God. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. January 16th, 2022. Today's scriptures come from Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 1 through 11, John chapter 12, verses 23 through 32, and John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The Bridegroom. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you. This morning, let us celebrate the truth. The past two weeks, we read John chapter 1. And in it, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the truth. And that we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness have all received grace upon grace. Aren't those really fantastic and comforting words? We have received grace upon grace. Last week, Pastor Joseph taught us about the humility of John the Baptist from the beginning chapter of John's Gospel. The humility of John the Baptist, who always pointed people back to Jesus. Today we're going a little further in that same book. We're going in John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And John's Gospel is full of signs. Signs that reveal the truth and grace the grace upon grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In John chapter 2, we see the first sign that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. So, without further ado, let's read it. John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace upon grace we receive by the fullness of Christ. 
Open our eyes to behold his glory. Open our ears to hear the truth. And teach us to marvel at the divine mystery as we bear witness to the light of Christ, which darkness cannot overcome. Amen. As the scriptures tell us, this is the first sign that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. Jesus attends a wedding, and he turns water into wine. We know that this sign manifested his glory, and that because of what he did, his disciples believed in him. That is what the scriptures tell us plainly. But why this? Of all the signs Jesus could perform, why is this the first? Despite it seeming circumstantial, as if Jesus just happened to be at this wedding, that the wine just happened to run out, and Mary, his mother, just happened to tell him to go help this groom out, nothing Jesus does is by pure chance. Remember, Jesus is the word that created heaven and earth. In him, all things hold together. This scene does not take him by surprise. There is a reason that this is the first sign that Jesus did. There's something more going on here than Jesus helping a man out on his wedding day. Here, Jesus is at a wedding feast. The wine runs out. His mother insists that he will do something to rectify the situation. Now, for context, it is the bridegroom's responsibility at the wedding feast in this time to make sure that there is plenty of food and drink for the guests. The fact that the wine was running out was a real problem. But like I said before, while Jesus certainly helps this man on his wedding day with this real problem, there's something deeper going on. That's why John calls it a sign. Jesus meets the need. He does turn the water into wine. But when he meets that need, Jesus becomes the provider of the wine. And when he does that, he takes on the role of the bridegroom. And that's significant. In fact, one chapter later in John chapter 3, when John the Baptist's disciples start asking questions about Jesus, about Jesus baptizing people, John says, I have told you I am not the Christ. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John, when questioned about Jesus, in the humility that Pastor Joseph talked about last week, tells us that Jesus is this bridegroom. And this bridegroom is the Christ. To hear his voice is cause for rejoicing. So church, when Jesus turned the water into wine at a wedding feast in Cana, he makes a very subtle and very profound statement. 
I am the bridegroom. Not just any bridegroom. He is the bridegroom. He is the Christ. He is the promised one. The one we read about in Jeremiah chapter 33. His presence at the, that wedding in Cana, turning water into wine, for those with eyes to see and ears to hear, was a whispered announcement that God was reestablishing David's throne. That the Messiah was here to restore what had been torn apart, to bring joy where there was sorrow. So again, this was no coincidence. Jesus manifested his glory in the place of celebration and of covenant. The bridegroom had come for his bride, and we can rejoice. But this sign doesn't just show us who Jesus is. Jesus is the bridegroom, but it also shows us why he has come. When we look to exactly what Jesus, the true bridegroom, does, he turns water into wine. Now, a good practice when you see water or wine in the Bible is to think about baptism and Eucharist, also called communion or the Last Supper. Whatever you want to call it, wine should make us think of the blood of Christ. Do whatever he tells you, Mary exhorts. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Six stone water jars. And what were they there for? Purification. Church, again, we see just the echo of this in the next chapter with John the Baptist. Jesus and John are at the Jordan River baptizing. There, John's disciples and some of the Jewish people. Am I the one digging here? I am. I didn't mute my phone, guys. Okay. Jesus and John are at the Jordan River baptizing. There, John's disciples and a Jewish man are having a discussion about what? Purification. Water, baptism, purification. John, the gospel writer, is on purpose putting these things real close together so that we might see that something deeper is going on. Jesus is the Messiah. So back to Jesus at the wedding feast in Cana with six stone jars of water for purification. He doesn't start baptizing people with it. Instead, he quietly turns it into wine. And the best of wines at that. Like I said, water makes us think of baptism, and wine makes us think of Jesus' blood. What does all this mean? More than we can possibly comprehend, I'm sure. In these signs, we're not invited to some mathematical logic puzzle. 
this plus this equals this, and now we fully understand God. We can never fully understand God. God is infinite, and we are not. He's bigger than we can ever imagine. These signs aren't meant to give us all the concrete answers, but they are an invitation into the mystery of God. We cannot comprehend the truth of God, but with eyes to see and ears to hear, we can catch a glimpse of his manifested glory. And that glimpse is grace upon grace. We know that Jesus is the bridegroom, and that is cause for celebration. And when he turns the water for purification into good wine, we can see why Jesus, the bridegroom, came. We hear the whispers. This is my blood of the covenant, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Here we have Jesus, the bridegroom, with his purifying blood of the covenant, the promise, the vow between bride and bridegroom. Jesus, the bridegroom, came to establish that covenant of grace and truth through his blood. The jars of good wine, that good wine of God's kingdom, the good wine of wedding feasts, the good wine of promise is just a sign pointing towards something else. It's pointing to the true and gracious promise that God's mercies are new every morning. That the truth that God will die so that the curse of sin and death are broken forever and we can live in the newness of Jesus' life. Those jars were a sign pointing to the moment of Jesus' glorification. But, he says... My hour has not yet come. His hour. Jesus continually references the hour to come. The hour which has not yet come. And not until we get towards the end of the gospel do we see what that hour is. The hour was coming when the Son of Man would be glorified. And his glory would reveal the glory of the Father. Not in some political victory, not in extravagant fame, not in the victory of a worldly war. The hour was coming when Christ would be lifted up, lifted up on the cross, body broken, blood shed. From the very beginning, Jesus' acts were pointing to the sacrifice, to the promise, to the moment when he would win victory over death. To the hour when the bridegroom would show his unending love to his bride. When the veil would be torn. When Jesus would die that we might live. The signs pointed to the three days later. When he would win victory over the grave. Not just for himself, but for the sake of us, his church, his bride. Like I said... The signs Jesus did are beyond our full comprehension, but they are an invitation to behold the glory of God revealed in Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. They are whispers of the true and gracious mystery of God. Church, 
Last week, Pastor Joyce, Joseph pointed out the humility of John the Baptist, and here in this sign performed by Jesus the Messiah, we see the true humility of Christ. John tells us that only a few people had an idea where that good wine came from. Mary, the servants who helped, the disciples. Jesus didn't announce himself. He didn't become the center of attention. He didn't create a big spectacle. The hour was not yet come. And I keep saying that this sign is like a whisper and an echo. People were always demanding signs of Jesus. They wanted wonders. They wanted spectacle. And yet, he continually told people, the kingdom of God is like a seed planted under the ground where no one can see it, waiting to grow into something big and peaceful. It is like yeast in a measure of flour. It's like a pearl buried in a field. Church, the truth of the kingdom, the splendor of the Lord, is still veiled and hidden from many. God is still showing us signs. They're seldom flashy. The water into wine wasn't done for spectacle, but like that wine, God's signs are marvelously good. Jesus is Lord, and for those who have eyes to see, like the disciples and the servants, even in this slow burn revival, in the beautiful and glorious humility of Christ, we can catch a glimpse of wonders that make our hearts burn within us, that keep our faith strong, because Jesus is doing good and hidden works, and one day, Every eye will see, every ear will hear the glory of the Lord our God, and every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Because everything Jesus did, everything Jesus does, glorifies the Father. So as we close today, take a minute to behold Jesus, Jesus who took our sin upon himself, Jesus who brought us peace by the blood of the covenant, by the blood of the cross. Let us hear Mary's exhortation, do whatever he tells you. Because God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Rejoice with John the Baptist at Jesus' gentle voice and with humility say, along with the prophet, he must increase, I must decrease. Celebrate like a bride on her wedding day as you remember Jesus, the bridegroom who calls us his own and vows to love us and never forsake us. Be like the master of the feast. Realize that the goodness of God is marvelous. Celebrate his hospitality. Celebrate his good and perfect gifts that only get better and better like the good wine at the feast in Cana. 
Be like the disciples. Look at these signs and believe in him. And so walk in the light that darkness cannot overcome. Look to Jesus, church. Rejoice and believe. Now, as we prepare to drink this cup and eat this feast in anticipation of the wedding feast to come, I encourage you, when you come up, take a minute at the altar. Thank God for his promise. Thank God for the good wine. Let this cup be a reminder of the eternal love of the bridegroom for his bride, of Christ for his church. And commit yourself to love him who first loved you. As you do what he says, and remember him in bread and cup. Amen. I'm going to invite everybody to.